0: Codes verified. You're listening to Tap into the Truth. Delving past the headlines, sorting through
1: the media bias, exposing the propaganda, and challenging you to use your brain.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, here we are once again gathered together for the fun that is tapping to the truth live on Friday nights. All right, everybody, glad to have you here. Thank you so very much for joining us uh, today. A little different than the norm because not only do I have a guest scheduled, but I decided to, you know, go a little overboard. Uh normal format, it's not unusual to have two guests been a while since i've had more than two guests and not had them on at least a couple of them at the same time but here we are that is what we are doing tonight so ladies and gentlemen stand back long overdue long awaited we will once again be uh, joined by mr gregory ridestone we're going to be talking a little bit about all the Fun and excitement that happened at Davos. And, of course, how climate change is being used as an excuse to try to take away our freedom. And, of course, uh, with Gregory here, we'll be talking about how ridiculous all their claims happen to be. Uh, We'll do that at the bottom here at the first hour. At the top of the second hour, we're scheduled to be joined by Stella. Mortabato. I'm going to have to practice that name again before we're done uh, because I was practicing it earlier. I had it down and now here I am uh, messing it up again. She's a former CIA analyst but she's also written quite a bit extensively on marriage and family and all kinds of interesting things. We're going to be talking to her about How a lot of school boards across the country are currently looking to try to hide their curriculum and their efforts to move the leftist agenda without letting parents know. We'll also talk a little bit about her book, but we'll get there later. And then at the bottom of the second hour, we're scheduled to be joined by Rob Monts. And Rob is a film. A documentary filmmaker, and he has a fantastic new short documentary, The Broken Boys of Kenosha, and we'll be talking about that. It's a, it's really interesting. If you haven't seen it, it's less than a half hour. Uh, it's available on YouTube. We'll have links in the show description for the podcast after the fact if you happen to be listening there. And if that's not where you're listening, please, by all means, track down the podcast – and uh, at least look at the show description and find a link because it'll be well worth your while. And of course, we will give out that information on air as it uh, comes along as well. And with all that being said, man, I, I am so glad it is finally Friday. It is one of those weeks that not a whole lot of bad has happened, but... Every single thing has felt like it's dragged on and dragged on, and it's been kind of crazy. Uh, it felt like it should have been Friday by Wednesday afternoon. And if you've had the same kind of week, uh, here we are, we'll spend this Friday night together. Uh, that's what we're going to do. Now, before we get to our guest lineups, uh, there's a lot of things that's happened this past week, a lot of things I thought we'd be talking about. But as it turns out, There's really only one thing on my mind that wouldn't be revisiting our last conversation together, and of course, revisiting that last conversation, I am still kind of upset in regards to what we saw happen with the political and judicial class in the state of Maryland in regards to this 14-year-old girl that we were talking about then. But if I start down that path, I won't get to anything else. And of all the things that have occurred, you know we've got the debt ceiling thing coming down, and we've already got the media looking to try to blame those mean old Republicans for the fact that we're going to officially be in a recession before long. They know it's inevitable, so they're trying to set up to blame the Republicans. We've got uh, everybody so happy, but so sad and so alarmed that Donald Trump's Facebook and Instagram accounts have been restored. The very uh, happy crying, if you will, because they're glad he's back. They feel like they can beat him, and they want everybody talking about Trump instead of talking about the fact that Ron DeSantis beats Joe Biden hands down, and they don't have anybody else to run, at least not yet. We've got that, and sure, we can spend a lot of time talking about it. You know I could. You know I have in the past. But the thing that I really want to talk about here in this first segment, while it's just – You and me. It's the fact that yesterday, that of course being Thursday, time of the live broadcast happening to be Friday, the 27th of January of 2023. Thursday of this week, a three-judge panel of the Colorado Court of Appeals ruled against Masterpiece Cake Shop Baker Jack Phillips, arguing that he violated the Colorado Anti-Discrimination Act by refusing to bake a cake for a gender transition celebration. Now, some of you may be saying, Hey, Tim, hold up. Pump the brakes. Seriously. We've already talked about the Colorado cake shop baker, Jack Phillips. We've been talking about Jack Phillips for a long time. This has to be an old story. Uh, Not so fast. Because if you'll recall, as we were talking about... Where the Supreme Court came down in the original case, it was decided very narrowly. Now, when we usually say decided narrowly, we're normally talking about and it was really close, like a 5 4 decision. But that wasn't the case this time. The majority was firmly, it was almost unanimous. They came down, and this was before. Uh, Trump got all of his current uh, picks in place. So it was a little more left-leaning at the time than it currently is. But it was still a solid majority that came down on Jack's side. But the problem was it was a very specific ruling. It wasn't a big win for religious freedom across the country like you would hope a case like this would end up being. It was very specific because of not so much what Jack had done or refused to do, but how Colorado had established their anti-discrimination law. And because it was so narrowly done, I told you then that it was only a matter of time before Jack would find himself being back the target of these same activists. And sure enough, less than a week later, we were talking again about how that was already underway. And once again, we have years of administrative punishment being put on Jack Phillips because he is facing the same type of effort from the political left, from the activists who just want to see somebody who's living by their political faith torn down. We had rulings in this earlier win, a lot of critics, myself included, They were very upset at how narrowly this was ruled in his favor. And, as the reason the baker continues to be targeted by activists today, that was that. In 2017, former Justice Anthony Kennedy wrote the majority opinion that some have argued, myself among them, that essentially said Phillips could have lost his Supreme Court case if it hadn't been for Colorado officials openly disparaging Phillips and his Christian views they mocked him in Colorado they treated him like he was a throwback relic like he was insignificant like there was no place in polite society for this man because he was openly Christian that that was his great terrible horrible crime he's a very terrible very good no no good very bad man because he's openly Christian that narrow decision has allowed Phillips to continue to be persecuted. At the uh, Washington Examiner, Quinn uh, Hillary, she argued that the Supreme Court's, quote, search for the narrowest possible result merely invited further, seemingly endless rounds of new litigation. Now, I keep bringing this up because this man has been put in this position because the Supreme Court really, Despite coming down on his side in the first case, they still refuse to do their job. They refuse to say, hey, Colorado, it's not enough to not just openly mock him in your public hearings. The laws that you have are too broad. You cannot openly persecute someone for the religious faith. And a whole part of religious freedom that we are all guaranteed, whether you choose to openly live by one or whether you choose to be completely atheistic. The guarantee, the promise, what you have is the right to not have the government punish you for it. Period. Phillips is currently facing... Another round of lawsuits, and the latest lawsuit against Phillips comes as an activist attorney, someone in the great state of Colorado by the name of Autumn Scardano. I'm sorry, Scardina. I looked at the wrong page here. So Autumn Scardina, an attorney in Colorado, called the Masterpiece Cake Shop on the same day that the Supreme Court announced that it would take his prior case. In that particular case, just in case you've forgotten, he was accused of discriminating for refusing to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding. Now, the attorney requested Phillips create a custom cake that was pink on the inside and blue on the outside to celebrate a gender transition. And according to the Alliance Defending Freedom, the ADF, which represented Phillips at that time, the attorney also called back to request a cake... If you'll recall, we talked about it then, a new cake depicting Satan smoking marijuana in order to, quote, correct the errors of Phillips' thinking. That was the thought process of Miss Autumn. Phillips, of course, declined to bake that cake either because of the message that both of those uh, cakes happened to depict. So then the activists sued. You, you must bake the cake. Sit down, shut up, and bake. The- now, while I'm not a fan <laughs> of the messaging that could be purveyed by baking a cake of Satan smoking marijuana, I gotta say I do kind of think it's funny. But I certainly don't believe that I have the right to make. Somebody who's a professed Christian bake that cake for me if they don't want to. Uh, I think it would not be so difficult to find another baker who would be willing to do that. Same thing with the, uh, the gender reveal cake. Now, you want a cake like that, you want to celebrate these things, hey, that's on you, that's for you, you do you. You're not going to have trouble finding somebody else to make that for you. But no, we must correct the thinking of people who believe they have the right to refuse our business because they're discriminating. But are they really? Are they discriminating or are they discerning? I mean, put yourself in that position only in a completely different set of circumstances. Let's say that You happen to be a baker and you firmly believe that all Nazis uh, should be punched squarely in the face. You know, that's the old adage, right? Go punch a Nazi. Now, let's pretend for just a second that some neo Nazi um, Klansman group decides that they're going to be having a big rally. They show up at your bakery, and they want a Hitler cake. Should you be forced, should you be compelled, under the power of government, to make that cake? But, Tim, you can't make that uh, inference. That's uh, apples to oranges comparison. It's, it's just not the same thing. But isn't it really? I mean, we're constantly facing apples and oranges uh, relationship kind of deals, right? But in this particular instance, it's kind of the same because here's the issue at the core. If you don't believe that your talents, that your skills, even if you're not so great at it, if you're not so talented, if you just don't believe that your time and effort should be put into something that promotes something that you disagree with, it seems rather unfair that – the power of government, that the force of government can be brought to bear against you, to force you to do it against your will. Now, if I'm hiring somebody like a baker or a photographer or a painter, any of these people that we know that have run afoul of the LGBTQ mafia or the gender-specific folks, or even just anybody who happens to come out and disagree with any aspect of the total globalist leftist uh, mentality and mindset don't don't we uh don't we have a right to say no sometimes and, and like i said if we're talking about an artist that we're hiring for their artistic ability their capabilities don't you think you're going to get their best effort if they're Believing in the project anyway. I'm not hiring somebody to make me something special because I want them to do half of their effort because they feel like they have to. I want their best efforts. If I want a cake of Satan smoking pot, then I want the best daggum cake of Satan smoking pot that I can get. And if I don't think uh, Mr. Phillips here is going to give that to me, why would I want to hire him anyway? So clearly, it's not about wanting the cake. It's been admitted here. It's about controlling the thought process. It's about being able to use the government to push down the thought police. It's right thought. Quoting here, Naturally, Colorado's courts ignored the patently offensive request for a Satan cake, and instead again, held Phillips responsible for illegal discrimination based on gender, his religious objections notwithstanding. This, of course, coming from Miss Hillary. Today's affirmation by the appeals court of the lower court's ruling takes ample advantage of the loophole left open by the Supreme Court while cherry-picking from other Supreme Court religious liberty decisions to reach its... Desired anti-Phillips conclusion. So on Twitter, some of the more prominent conservative folks also came out and they're blaming the Supreme Court for the ongoing legal struggles at the Masterpiece Cake Shop. And again, you have to keep in mind that even when certain aspects of the political left know that they're going to lose in court – That administrative time is still part of the punishment. They are hoping, they are banking that most people are just going to roll over, and then they win by default. They're hoping, they're expecting that a lot of these people are going to fight for a while. They're still going to end up getting somebody uh, that's sitting on the bench that's friendly to their own side, so – They'll win the first level, and this other person that they're going after is going to have to appeal, and they're going to have to fight, and they're going to spend a lot of time, effort, and money, sometimes money most of these people do not have, to try to eventually get the W that should come from the Supreme Court. But the problem is with this, it's so clear cut, it is so obvious that there should not be the need to go more than the first time in. If judges were serious about reducing the clutter, you know, we've got such a, a heavy agenda. There's so many cases on the itinerary. I don't know how we'll get to all of it. If they were serious about reducing the number of cases they were hearing, they'd see something like this and throw it out immediately. This is frivolous. It's ridiculous. And it's clearly a case where your rights do not trump the rights of the other person. Do you have a right To a transgender celebration cake? Do you have the right to a same sex wedding cake? Do you have the right to a Satan smoking marijuana cake? The simple answer there is no. You do not have a confirmed right to them. There's no reason why you shouldn't be able to get them. And there is still where we fall back on the basic premise of this particular issue. If you really want them, You're going to be able to get them. If you can get phallic-shaped cakes and female sexual organ cakes and all types of ridiculous fun stuff like that, I don't think you're going to have trouble finding somebody out there that's like, hmm, Satan, smoking pot. Hmm, wait a second. I have many ideas. Let me run a few drawings past you and we'll see where we go. In fact, there's probably a ton of bakers that – would already have molds that would work for the general purpose here. It just depends on what it is you're wanting. You keep going after this one guy, not because you want the cake. It's because you want him to submit to your will. You want him to be dominated to you. You want him to become subservient to you for no other reason than the fact that he dares to tell you no. No. That's it. That's the only reason the left doesn't like this guy. He stood up and said, no. And as soon as you no longer have the right to tell somebody else no to doing something that you don't want to do, no matter what it is, then that should be uh, something that concerns you. You don't have to like the fact that this guy is using his Christianity as an excuse not to...  … make a celebration cake for a same-sex wedding, which was the first case that went to the Supreme Court that he won. You don't have to like that. You you may think to yourself, well, I I don't want to buy a cake from somebody that doesn't want to celebrate same-sex. So then don't. Don't do business with the guy. Ultimately, if enough people feel the same way, his bakery is going to go out of business. Let the free market decide. Stop trying to use the power of the government to go punish people that you just simply don't agree with because at the end of the day, no matter how close you are to your good friends, no matter how much you get along with all the people you know, even the closest people to you, the people you like the most that you agree with of the time, there is still going to be some percentage of the time that you disagree with them. Do you really think they should have the power of government to force you to at least publicly pretend like you agree with them on that one instance? Because if you go that route, then what happens to freedom of expression? What happens to freedom of uh, association? Now, granted, a lot of the so-called efforts at equity involve taking people's right of association away. But shouldn't you ultimately get to decide who you are and who you aren't friends with? Shouldn't you ultimately get to decide who you do and do not want to do business with? I mean, if you're going to show up in my house and say, oh, hey, Tim, uh, you know, you're you're kind of you're kind of running a, a little bit of a business with this show of yours. Uh, you're, you're making a little bit of money off of advertising, and, and you're you're reaching an audience, so you've got a platform as well. So we we can't really control 100% what it is you say, but what we can do is regulate the business part of it, and then they can start putting in all kinds of ridiculous ideas, like suddenly I have to co-host with Al Gore. <laughs> this is something ridiculously stupid that they're actually hoping, I will say, ah, oh, hell no, and stop doing the show as opposed to trying to find a loophole. But at the same time, if I do say, fine, whatever, I'm not going to stop, bring Al Gore on, then you're going to get to hear Al Gore too, which is probably going to do one of two things. Either allow him to propagate his man bear pig propaganda or it's going to drive everybody away like you know, I kind of, I used to dig that tap into the true show, but dang it, man bear pig is just, I can't listen to him because he's always talking in, in such a fashion makes me want to go to sleep. So what do you do? I mean, I'm using ridiculous examples here, but at the end of the day, Put yourself into whatever situation. What are the things you like to do the most? What are the things that you enjoy?
2: Whatever
0: those things are, if you're good at it and you enjoy doing it and you have the opportunity to to perform publicly, whatever that may be, who has the right – To step up to you and say, your freedom of expression technically belongs to me. Do what I tell you. Now, if you decide to to take on a job, if you're doing it for money, and then you agree to make it, then they should have some input. They know what it is they want. They know what they're buying. They've got the expectation and a reasonable one at that to get what they're expecting when they're paying for it. They do not, however, have the right to force you into doing something that you disagree with doing. I mean it really is just that simple. Put the religious liberty argument to the side. Put the freedom of association to the side and just look at the bare bones, meat and potatoes of this issue. Who besides you gets to decide What you're going to do for someone else. It doesn't matter how selfish you are or how incredibly generous you may be. That still should be your choice, how much you do for yourself. And whenever your talents are involved, whenever you have to put forth effort and your own creativity, nobody should have control over that but you. And if you just don't like the fact that this person wants to do something that you don't want them to do, or they don't want to do something that you really think they should be willing to do, that just means you disagree. It doesn't mean you get to call up the police doesn't mean that you get to file a lawsuit. It doesn't mean that the state of Colorado has any more right to say, well, your discriminatory uh, practices are violating our laws because their laws are not relevant. They're not legitimate. They're in clear-cut violation of the United States Constitution, because while you shouldn't be freely able to just discriminate for no good reason, it's kind of the whole nature of freedom of association. You just let them deal with the consequences of it, not use the power of government. Get on social media. Tell all your friends hey, don't go to this bake shop because it's got to be it. All right, I'm getting the sign from the producer. Crazy Cajun Doug, let's take that first break as we're rolling in. That first hour is almost over. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back with Gregory Wrightstone. This is Tim Tap, host of Tap Into the Truth. Don't take my definitely. Don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and most importantly, use your brain.
3: the many Americans who still do not get it, Joe Biden, every Democrat, and many rhinos literally want to destroy our beloved republic. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards. On today's page from the Edwards Notebook, brought to you by Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup. Recently, the Reverend Franklin Graham proudly told the world that he will not be supporting the candidacy of President Donald Trump's bid for re-election during the primary season. Part of the reason given was Mr. Trump's combative nature. I find that ironic because Trump, on a personal and even public basis, is a much nicer person than holier-than-thou Franklin, big time in his own mind, Graham. Trump is the only president during my lifetime, other than Ronald Reagan, who sincerely served to better the lives of we, the people, unlike probably 70% of all politicians who either kowtow to China, seek to squander our wealth on Ukraine, support Joe Biden's policy of open borders, seek to tax or jab us to death etc, etc. It is high time to discriminate the crucial differences between actual right and wrong. Seek reestablishment of true moral principles. Do away with retarded wokeness. Allow true masculinity among men and femininity among women. If not, forget about it. I'm Ron Edwards. Join me live weekdays, 3 p.m. Eastern, 12 Pacific to find out where. Go to TheRonEdwards.com second skull is a protective headgear company with a patented line of impact reducing products at second skull we focus on head protection as our only priority so that we can be the absolute best at it second skull has protection for every sport and for every athlete these products are patented and proven second skull is a protective headgear company Constitutional Grounds, the coffee you want in your cup.
1: Gregory Wrightstone here, uh, executive director at the CO2 Coalition, best-selling author of Inconvenient Facts, expert reviewer for the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change. You're listening to me on Tim Tap and Tap into the Truth. So,
2: right.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. Thank you so much for staying with us through that very brief break and uh, and digging that uh, little uh, brake liner as we roll back in. Love the song Wagon Wheel, first and foremost. But, you know, that guy who was talking over it, you know, the executive director of the CO2 Coalition. Best-selling author of the fantastic, phenomenal, very awesome book, Inconvenient Facts, The Science That Al Gore Doesn't Want You To Know About, and the companion app that was so much fun to battle the app stores to keep up, especially over at Apple, where Al Gore happened to have been a board member at the time. don't know that there's a coincidence there. Not that I believe in coincidences. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. At this point, world-renowned geologist, Gregory Wrightstone. Uh, Greg, first of all, thank you so much for coming back and joining us. It's been a while since we've had a chance to talk, and I'm so happy to have you here. I understand you got a little touch of bronchitis, though. Uh, so, first and foremost, how are you doing?
1: Oh, it's been it's three weeks. My wife and I both have it, and it, it's just been – it's. I I'm recovering and uh I'm soldiering through so I'll be fine and and uh yeah I love that Wagon Wheel. I uh one of my favorite songs. I play it on my guitar and sing it. i I have a lot of talents uh, and uh uh guitar and singing are not them, but I try.
0: Well, you know, it's good to have hobbies and as long as you're happy with it, it doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. But as something tells me, though, you're probably being a little modest too, but that's uh, that's all right. That's not a bad quality. Uh, Greg, before we uh, jump into uh, today's primary topic, uh, give us a little bit of uh, inside baseball information, if you will. What's going on right now over at the CO2 Coalition?
1: Oh, man. Well, before, before we do that, you talked about modesty. You are right. I, I'm i probably the most modest person you will ever meet, and uh, it's by far. And I'm just kidding about that. But, but what's going on with the CO2 coalition is that uh, we've got a lot of things going on. I just filed a comment today on the 5th. Uh, National Climate Assessment. We have a 40-page document. We filed uh, a a takedown of this. It's it's supposed to be this National Climate Assessment is supposed to be done every four years, and it's just an abomination. It's a litany of everything they've gotten wrong about climate over the last 40 years, and then doubled down on it. It's 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 just horrible. And it was so easy. It was fun. Because it was so easy to pick apart what the lies that they're promoting with this national climate assessment is just amazing, um, and we're, we're the we're the group to do it because we've have, we've have, uh, we're a science based organization.
0: Yeah, well, I, I got to tell you, Gary, I, I can really tell you guys are picking up steam and momentum too at a real cognitive level because I'm seeing your presence more and more places. Uh, At first, I started seeing more posts on social media across the board uh, uh, promoting the CO2 coalition from various folks and then people sharing and spreading, and and then I started seeing some uh, news articles here and there where they talked about uh, your efforts to try and bring a little sanity back to the climate uh, argument. And it is something you've been working on for a while, even before you started working well, with the CO2 coalition. It, it but-
1: is. It is. I, I started I, – I wrote my book, Inconvenient Facts, back in uh, – it was published in late 2017, and it was five years ago. And as of – it was just three weeks ago. It was number one bestseller on Amazon in three categories. And it, to have a book that's five years old, to do that, it's been back number one bestseller repeatedly over the last five years, because people, because it's timely, it's not outdated, because I'm a geologist, we look at the long-term data and put what's happening today in that long-term perspective, and so Inconvenient Facts has been just, we've been crushing it, and it's just amazing that the, the darn thing won't die, and uh, this doesn't happen with books, it just doesn't happen, and it's its amazing what the, the success of this thing and, and here at the CO2 Coalition, I took over uh, the CO2 Coalition two years ago as executive director. And it was a it was a very prominent organization of scientists that were publishing white papers and things. And but one of the, the failures we had that I that I saw when I took over was messaging and it it doesn't matter if you've got a white paper that's really important and nobody sees it well, we need to get that out there and so we've been- pro- providing uh, this science out to the, the general public we've got our outreach has just significantly increased and we've got this I'm so proud we've got uh last year we had a number of our members that came up and said you know i'm 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 very upset with uh, scientific education in the United States. We need to do something, and we did. And so we formed a committee. And the result of what we've done is remarkable. We've created uh, three, and we're about to publish the fourth comic, uh, uh, comic books done, manga styles like anime, uh, yeah. for for children. And we're teaching science them about photosynthesis about the gases in the air about co2 uh, and the benefits of co2 and then we've got uh, uh, along with that we have videos that are a little bit more in depth again these are anime things that children just love and we're teaching them about science without the alarm and, and then compounding with that we're following on with that we've got lesson plans that we've developed dr. Sharon Camp. PhD in chemistry. Uh, she taught AP Science and developed AP curricula. Has developed these lesson plans to go along with this for for teachers, for educators, for homeschoolers. That will be able to get this this information. Uh, it's it's really really going to be impactful. Uh, it's it's we're going to launch this early March. Uh, it'll be the CO2 Learning Center. You can go right now. You can go look at the videos on YouTube, if you just Google CO2 Learning Center YouTube, CO2 Learning Center YouTube, you go look at these videos. They're fascinating. My granddaughter and grandson, granddaughter's five, grandson's three, they just were enthralled with these. They're, again, it's, it's teaching science in an engaging manner without the climate alarm, and that's, that's what we need. And so we're actually doing something at the CO2 coalition uh, to push back on this on this uh, nonsense that is being uh, foisted on our children.
0: Yeah, I got to tell you, I really love that approach, too, because the big push that the folks that are the climate alarmists have been doing is they've been traumatizing children. Uh, trying to scare them to death uh, that's why Greta Thunberg is a name everyone knows now uh, they really have tried to terrify a lot of children into thinking that the world's coming to an end in 12 years or less so by actually bringing some honest to goodness science instead of just alarmism where some folks are trying to cash in on that's that's the best way to combat it so kudos Uh, to you and the messaging there, because that is exactly the way this battle needs to be fought. Uh, That's where the left has gone after uh, and tried to destroy just about everything that's good uh, as far as the republic here is concerned. So if you can start winning those hearts and minds back and show that, hey, you know, uh, real science suggests that it's not that bad, uh, that's definitely a plus. But It is alarmism that these people trade in, which is why they don't like you or anybody uh, that's associated with the the group or anybody that dares to even question their version of the science, which isn't particularly scientific, (laughs) but uh, I think Al Gore continues to stand out. We're just a little bit removed from the most recent Davos meeting, and the World Economic Forum doesn't normally spend quite as much time talking about climate policy, but this year it almost felt like it became, uh, at least there at the end, a little bit more of a clown show than the usual serious uh, gathering of world leaders, and Mm -hmm. Al Gore once again set himself apart especially with his little rant talking about how we were boiling the oceans and, and all this stuff. So as soon as I heard that rant, the first thing I thought of is I have got to get Greg back on the show. And nah. we have got to talk about his yeah. rant.
1: Oh man. He, everything he said was incorrect. Uh, he talked about boiling oceans. Well, the sea surface temperatures increased eight tenths of a degree since 1900. They're not boiling. They're not kind of boil. They never have in the past. Uh, And it's just crazy. He talked about uh, our atmosphere being a sewer dump for all of the uh, pollution that we're – well, I'll just – anybody listening to this should just Google two words, EPA and pollution, those two words, EPA and pollution, and see what you find. You'll get the EPA chart showing uh, that – that goes back 40-plus years, showing that – Pollution of the eight top pollutants in our atmosphere have been significantly declining. We probably have uh, cleaner air and cleaner water today than we have since the start of the Industrial Revolution in 1850, and and it's, it's demonstrable. And, and they're claiming that it's just it's unprecedented in the amount of, of pollution. No, it's not. It's unprecedented the amount of clean air we have. I mean, we had for crying out loud. Uh, Forty years ago, Lake Erie was basically dead. Uh, the three rivers, and they're they're doing fishing tournaments in Lake Erie now. Uh, uh, the three rivers of Pittsburgh dead, no fish. They're they're doing bass fishing tournaments there now. Uh, we should celebrate that, and and we're doing a great job improving uh, the environment, improving our air, improving our water. And we should continue doing that, uh, but but they they promote this narrative of this uh, continuing uh, climate apocalypse, and it's just not true.
0: Yeah, it's it's really just continues to boggle my mind how much these people continue to trade on it. Al Gore became very wealthy promoting this narrative, and that's really the only thing you can call it. It's If it was a little better written, we could call it science fiction, but it's not written well enough to even deem it that. It's given them far too much credit on a literary quality scale. But just the fact that they continue to get away with it and the fact that they promoted it so heavily at the end of Davos, that really, really, I think, tips the hand that this is more about an effort to continue to gain control over – quality of life and how people are going to be living is there any other explanation because you know as well as i do at this point these people can read the same data that you do they're privy to it they know the truth
1: yeah what, what you're asking isn't it is why are they lying to us that's that's the bottom line and <laughs> i i get asked that a lot and i'll tell you that i uh, I'll share with you the same thing I I told everybody else, all the other hosts that I have with my interviews. You are just as, as, as knowledgeable to tell me why they're doing it as I am. Everyone listening to the show is just as knowledgeable as I am to say why they're doing it. I'm an, I'm a scientist. I can tell you this is what they're telling you. And this is what the facts are. And and everyone listening we're here tonight can say, "Well, well, okay, well, they're doing it because of this or this or this is it control is it funding is it is it is it money is it whatever it is uh, there are a lot of reasons, and I can't look inside men's and women's souls to see what their motivations are, but I can tell you that what they're telling you is disputed by, by the actual facts, the science, and the data.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, clearly, uh, you, you do make the point extremely well there. Uh, the hearts and minds, a lot of different uh, motivations, and a lot of different people are motivated in different fashion. And the scariest part is the folks that actually do believe in it, uh, that are just true believers, uh, part of the almost religious uh, devotion to the ideas and again that's where this uh this outreach program that you're doing with the, the co2 coalition where we're educating young people are really going to come in handy and change that tide because i was uh, hearing a uh, democratic politician just a couple of weeks ago talk about how terrified their children are of the world that's we're going to have because of climate change and you know the first thing that pops into my mind is what did you do (laughs) because what did you do why are you terrifying your child and you just you can't tell if it's a, a direct result of these people not knowing better in some cases but we do know that the people that continue to propagate this narrative but they do mostly know better, and it's a shame that we don't well, have more people well, that well, take the it's, time it's, to, to it, find it the facts. It goes
1: right to the schools. It goes right to the school system. We're we are actually we're we're attacking that, and we will be. We have a booth, and we'll be exhibitor at the National Science Teacher Association, and we're preparing a document right now, uh, uh to confront. And rebut what their their climate change statement is. It's just horrific. It's wrong. It's not based in science. It's based in in uh, climate alarmism. And we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna go right into the belly of the beast. And we're gonna we're gonna be there. We have when when people come up to us to us, we have three PhDs that will be in attendance at our booth that uh, the Ph.D. that wrote our lesson plans, Sharon Camp, uh, Dr. Rafael Nascimento who is one of the top nanotechnology experts in the world, uh, leader of the climate, intellectuals of Brazil, uh, we'll, we'll, others will have others that we will be there. What are they going to do? They're going to stop up and say, well, you don't know what you're doing. Well, uh, talk to a Ph.D. chemist, talk to a Ph.D. physicist. Uh, who will have? We'll, we'll nuclear physicists there. These are these are people that we're going to have at the National Science Teacher Association to combat their their misinformation. Uh, we will probably get thrown out on our ear, but that's okay.
0: Well, somebody's got to fight the good fight, and I'm glad. Uh, Personally, I'm very glad you're one of the people at the front line of this because uh, there aren't as many folks that I can think of off the top of my head that are as qualified and are as courageous in this fight as you have been. Uh, there's there's no backing down, and I love that. The ferocity of trying to bring truth and scientific and intellectual uh, honesty is something that's missing, but uh, I, I do think that – when you talked about earlier, uh, inconvenient facts back to being uh, number one, it's because there are more and more people realizing that they are being lied to. And there are so few places where they can go to, to find truthful information that can be easily documented and proven true, even from the sources, uh, that are trying to tell everybody, be afraid. Uh, Greg, obviously, uh, we're already running a little long, and I didn't want to keep you too long, knowing that you're still trying to to get back on the mend and recover. So, before I let you go, uh, please uh, feel free to share any of those websites out there. Let folks know where they can find your work and any other final messages you want to throw out there. too, uh, go ahead and do all that right now.
1: Well, yeah, go no, go no. to our, our information is co two co two and if you want to get information, I, I really recommend going to see the videos we have uh, for students at uh, CO2 Learning Center YouTube. CO2 Learning Center. Um, we're gonna have, we're gonna be rolling out CO2 learningcentercom Center com probably in early March uh, with with all of our with our books, uh, with our lesson plans, with the videos. But the videos right now are available on our YouTube. At, at CO2, CO2 Learning Center um,
0: YouTube. All right, Greg. And, uh, again, thank you so much for joining me this evening. I appreciate your time. I value it greatly. And, uh, like I said, Godspeed. Uh, keep up the good fight and uh, get better. Get better. I'll
1: be good. Thanks.
0: All right, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, that is Mr. Gregory Ridestone. Uh, he's a geologist. He's the executive director of the CO2 Coalition. And uh, he is the author of Inconvenient Facts The Science That Al Gore Doesn't Want You to Know. And, you know, again, every time I see Al Gore do something totally and utterly ridiculous, uh, which is still. Way frequently if he's if I see him doing anything, it seems like it falls into that category uh, It just uh I always think of uh, Greg and want I try to have him come back on, not just because he's really great to talk to, which he is, but also because he's had this running battle with Al, and you know he calls him out, and that's a good thing we just got a few minutes before the end of the first hour, and before we, uh, before we transition out of uh, this hour, I want to reiterate the fact that when they share these websites with you, they really are good sources of information. And the fact that they've got these videos out there for kids, I, I really do dig that. And, but here's the thing. If you're going to be a parent – And you want your children to know the truth and not be afraid of climate change. If you don't want them uh, trotting around the world, showing up at Davos and getting arrested, and you don't want them going around saying, how dare you, then educate them. Because here's the problem. We have let our children be educated by a bunch of leftist activists who are actually more interested in indoctrination than education? We got to put an end to that. We need to be more involved with our children's lives. And I know, trust me, I know when you're working all the time, it can be tough. But we need to make that extra effort, or else we're going to be turning over a group of children who just aren't equipped to handle. Even something as simple as critical thinking to see past who's just trying to take advantage of them. we gotta, we got to stop that. That's on us. That's our responsibility. And we've kind of been letting the generations down. And again, obviously, you know who you are. Not all of you fall into that category, clearly. I would like to give myself way more credit than I deserve on that count too, Uh, but I've been very fortunate. I've got a a couple of girls right now that are still just – they will not be deceived. I've taught them how to think for themselves, Uh, and unfortunately, uh, it's just not enough in this world. We get browbeat. We get beat down. We get told by every – authority that if we speak out we say the wrong things we should be cancelled and that kind of goes back to that first story before Greg joined us we got to really make sure that everybody knows and understands if you're going to enjoy the blessings of liberty then you have to be prepared to take some of the negative aspects that come along, too. All right, let's go ahead and transition into hour number two. Uh, Take a deep breath, and do not go anywhere, because we will be starting right off the bat with my next guest, Stella, the author of The Weaponization of Loneliness. She'll be with us to talk about, you know, adult stuff. We'll be right back.
2: This is Stella Morabito, author of *The Weaponization of Loneliness*, and you're listening to Tim Tap and Tap Into the Truth.
0: All righty, ladies and gentlemen, we are back. We are kicking off the start of our number two. It's Friday. We are live, and here in just a few moments, I'm going to be joined by Stella Mordebito. She's the author of the Weaponization of Loneliness: How Tyrants Stoke Our Fear of Isolation to Silence, Divide, and Conquer. Say that ten times real fast. It's a mouthful. <laughs> And, of course, she is a senior contributor over at The Federalist, has been since 2014. She's published all types of articles, tons and tons of them, actually. I I couldn't count them, uh, even if I tried. Because, you know, I start running out of fingers and toes. Uh, Tons of them. Focused primarily on social fallout and propaganda, mob psychology, cult mindset. Gee, sounds like she was custom-made to help us through the times we're facing right now. Uh, You've probably seen her work also over at the Washington Examiner, American Greatness, over at Town Hall, just to name a few. And before all that, she worked for the CIA, she was an 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 analyst there, where she focused on you know, communism, media, propaganda, disinformation. Phew, I tell you what, right now she's probably seen all kinds of things. She recognizes, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show for the first time, Miss Stella uh, Stella uh Stella, first of all, thank you for joining us, and secondly. Did I get that last name pronunciation right? Because I was trying to get it right, and I thought I was doing good, and now I'm not sure if I am or not.
2: Oh, no, no, Tim, thanks so much for having me on. No, you you pronounce it just fine, perfectly. Stella Morabito, that's right. Thanks so much.
0: All right. Uh, Stella, first and foremost, again, thank you so much for being here. And obviously, there's so much going on in the world right now that – it is difficult to even fully grasp it. So given everything that you've focused on in the last several years and given your background, let me ask you point blank uh, the question that I think really everyone needs to understand the answer to. Is there presently an ongoing attack, an assault by our federal government or at least certain parts of it on the very concept Of the traditional family
2: Oh Certainly there's a war on family And a war on religion And uh, along with that comes a war On community and friendship And you know any kind Of real private life uh, You know that that isn't Directed by the mass state Uh, How Conscious some of the people are Of what they're doing I can't say But it's very obvious Very very uh uh, deliberate uh, uh, war on family war on uh, religion, because these are the places where people get their inner strengths uh, and and allows us to live our own lives uh without dependence on the mass state and so that that's um, you know that 's always been an issue throughout modern history uh, in my book, the Weaponization of Loneliness, I go back to the French Revolution and Talk about how, you know, mob agitation enforced what they didn't call it back then, but there was definitely identity politics and political correctness. Uh, You had to go with the narrative or you'd be uh, not only censored, but much worse. And uh, we saw we see this happening with all these utopian revolutions, including the the Bolshevik revolution. it happened in hitler 's uh, Third Reich it happened in mao 's cultural revolution um, all of them had wars on private life, war on family, war on religion and uh, and definitely censorship we aren 't supposed to be talking to one another and uh because that gets in the way of their their um their propaganda gets in the way of their central planning.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it is really really hard to convince me that I should hate Jews if I talk to Jews and know that hey, guess what? I've got more in common with these people than I have different. It's really hard for me to hate my black neighbor If I actually talk to my black neighbor and it's kind of hard for them to hate me, too, Uh, unless, of course, we Mm -hmm. just don't get along. But the truth is, as long as we actually do communicate, if we don't sit back and are satisfied with being put in these tiny little boxes with the little labels they want to put on us uh, and we do strengthen those bonds and grow those Mm -hmm. bonds and get that community larger, it is really hard for them to be successful, right?
2: That's exactly right. Uh, You know, all of these totalitarian movements uh, are based on isolating people. You have to isolate people in order to control them and also to cultivate hostilities between people. Uh, I often bring up the book that Hannah Arendt wrote in the 1950s called The Origins of Totalitarianism, because in that book she doesn't go into great depth, but she makes the point that tyranny – You know, people cannot be terrorized unless they are isolated against one another. Terror doesn't really have that much power over them unless they're isolated against one another. And so, therefore, she said. The main concern of all tyrannical government is to bring that isolation about. And when you look at identity politics, that's exactly what it does. It divides us into these boxes, as you said, Tim. It divides us, and, and, and it forces us, and they try to force us, not to see one another as individual human beings who have a lot of the, you know, different perspectives, different sense of humor, personalities, you know, people you can just really get together with, have a cup of coffee. No, they don't want you to see one another that way. They want you to see one another as a member of a race, of a class, of, you know, whether you're a victim or an oppressor. And, of course, that's very destructive for any kind of civil society.
0: Yeah. And the most heartbreaking aspect of this is how successful it seems like they've gotten here in the United States in particular. Because for all intents and purposes, the founding principles, although we have, of course, struggled to live up to all of them at different points in our history, but – Still, those founding principles literally is the opposite of all the things that these folks are trying to accomplish. And here we are now seeing them be very successful at driving wedges between us to the point that uh, take uh, segregation uh, just as uh, an offhand uh, example. We saw a concerted effort by people like Martin Luther King Jr. to try to get us to a point where someday you could have black people, uh, black Americans walk across the stage at Harvard to graduate together. And then here in the last decade, we've seen a concerted effort by the students attending there where they want to have their own uh, graduation ceremony where people are back to self-segregating instead of understanding that the goal used to be. Part of what would help make them stronger, and and part of the community and all communities stronger, was the previous effort, and we're undoing a lot of the good that's been done.
2: Oh, absolutely, Tim. And you know, a lot of that, what you would call success, sadly, you know, uh, that that these, um, you know, these agendas have come to pass. Uh goes back to the thesis of my book, The Weaponization of Loneliness, and it's a very basic thesis that I think most people would understand. I just want more people to become conscious of it, and that is that as human beings, we are all uh, hardwired to connect with other people. We have a very um, you know, strong need. We cannot survive in isolation, and we all have a strong need as social animals to to connect with other people and, and uh, you know, have relationships. Uh, but the flip side of that is that we have a terror of being ostracized, of being socially rejected, of being cast out. And totalitarians know exactly how to exploit that vulnerability in us. And I want, you know, they they do it in a lot of different ways, through identity politics, political correctness, mob agitation. Uh, You know, they can build this surveillance society and all this segregation, as long as we're fearful of being ostracized for maybe, quote, saying the wrong thing. Or, oh, you know, self-censorship is really what lays at, uh, I, I kind of, I think that self-censorship has really brought us to this point. Obedience to political correctness, where we're too afraid even to talk to a neighbor or, or even someone, you know, who we get along with who doesn't know how we feel about a certain issue. When we shut up about what we believe, we give oxygen to all of those bad agendas, and then they end up, just as you say, Tim, having success in tearing us apart. And if you think about it, if you have millions of people openly having conversations, just exchanging ideas and and you know just perspectives and and what we feel about things uh, if if that happens, tyranny can never get a foothold they need censorship they need to control what we say to one another and that's why i wrote the book is to help us kind of become a lot more aware of those dynamics so that we can build counter strategies and start speaking up more so that they you know they we don't lose our freedom
0: yeah and this is definitely uh, a a time in our history where more people need to get that message. And I, I have to say, Stella, that I am feeling uh, much more optimistic than I used to. It really does feel like more people are starting to wake up to the fact. And we've seen kind of that push, uh, recognizing first and foremost that a lot of the uh, – again, I'm going to use air quotes, with works really great on the radio, by the way – but uh, <laughs> their success – has come from being able to take a certain amount of control of the narratives that are being processed through education. We see more and more uh, schools promoting these uh, gender identity uh, Mm -hmm. theories and and race theories and and all these things that are designed to do exactly that, keep us spread apart. And then we saw this almost magical thing happen in Virginia that thankfully has continued to spread where parents were suddenly educated themselves as to what exactly it was going on in some of these – in some of the school systems, and we come to realize that it's not that isolated. It's happening in a lot of places, and now Mm -hmm. we're starting to see uh, school boards across the country that are really trying to make it impossible for parents – to comment at uh, public hearings, uh, to try and make it impossible for some of these parents to even really know what they're up to. Uh, So I know this is one of the things that you've been talking about here recently. Uh, Just so the listeners know, what are some of these worst-case scenarios that you've seen in the course of uh, your writing and uh, doing the research on these stories?
2: Uh, worst case scenarios, you mean, in terms of these agendas that have come to pass, like gender ideology and the whole transgender thing?
0: Well, actually, at this point, I'm thinking more along the efforts of the school boards to try and keep this out of oh, sight.
2: Yeah, yeah, no, they're trying to sh- they shut down microphones. And one of the most chilling examples uh, that they that they did was when that father in Loudon County. I don't know how many of your listeners are aware. His daughter was sexually assaulted in the girls' bathroom by a boy who entered because, you know, he said that he was a girl or whatever. But uh, he sexually assaulted her, and the father was shut down. He was actually arrested, tackled and arrested at the school board meeting when he was, you know, expressed concern. So, yes, that, that is um, really chilling to see that sort of thing happen. Uh, and, uh, and then, of course, uh, the National Association of School Boards uh, got these parents labeled by the attorney general as domestic terrorists. Uh, you know, these, were, these are ways of, uh, by example, trying to shut down all the parents. You know you 'll get arrested if you complain we 'll call you a domestic terrorist if you complain about anything it 's all meant to just shut people up so they can push through these agendas. But what I find really hopeful and you mentioned you know that you 're feeling more optimistic is that yes uh, you know all of these smear words, all of these demonization campaigns don't seem to have the power that they used to. You know, people were afraid of being called a bigot or a hater or a white supremacist or some kind of phobe or conspiracy theorist and domestic terrorist or semi-fascist. You know, the the list goes on and on and on. And it's just not working like it did, like it used to, to shut people up. Um, it's getting very old. So, yes, that's that. And, and also some of the real liberals, the people who were free speech absolutists, uh, are coming out of the woodwork now and saying, "Wait a minute! This is you know there's a realignment going on that should be uh, very encouraging to us." You know, you see J.K. Rowling and you know her fight against the whole transgender thing. You see people like Matt Taibbi and and a, a lot of people, even Richard Dreyfuss, the um, the uh, the actor, uh, was talking to Glenn Beck. Uh, I guess it was a couple weeks ago, about how concerned he was with the lack of civics education in this country. So there seems to be a lot of realignment going on. People, just as you said, uh, starting to think things through and not being as cowed by these demonizing labels as maybe they used to be.
0: Yeah, it still is very concerning, and it should be. To me that these people that are in the public sector, you know, they're not in the private sector, they are working mm-hmm. for the public, that have mm-hmm. just decided that they know better than anybody, they're going to do, uh, they're going to push the agenda that they want done, and a lot of these teachers and school administrators that are in these positions are people who themselves have been indoctrinated because of how much control this thought process got a hold of a lot of the colleges and universities. So a lot Mm -hmm. of these, especially the younger ones, don't even realize what it is that they're doing that's such a failing. They've completely forgotten who it is they work for and what their actual job is, is to the point where if a teacher tries to teach one of their students how to engage in critical thinking, you would almost think that was the criminal offense as opposed Mm -hmm. to uh, trying to do things like, well – We're going to convince this child that they're really transgender and we're going to allow them to come here and we're going to secretly treat them differently and we're not going to let the parents know. And I'm just really happy to see more and more parents waking up. Uh, The uh, Loudoun County, Virginia bit, we've talked a lot about that on on this particular show, so our listeners are very familiar with the, the story. But It really has created a firestorm because the one thing that you can do, you could arrest that father, and the media can try and spin that like, okay, well, agitated father, but the mistake these folks have made is now they have angered the mama bears. It's really hard people that rely on left-leaning thinking voters and and individuals to buy into a bunch of wild and crazed mothers that are upset about stuff, uh, as opposed to how they've been able to convince so many people about toxic masculinity. And here's just another example. They can keep most of these people in the dark, but when the mama bears come to life, it's a lot harder for them to continue to hide that agenda.
2: Oh, yes, absolutely. And um, and this also should wake us all up to the fact that uh, local elections have huge consequences. Uh, you know, unfortunately, elections for school boards are, uh, you know, the turnout, even if they're on the same ballot as the, uh, you know, as an upper, like a, you know, member of Congress or whatever, uh, election, they they tend not to get mu- you know very much. Uh, people don't know necessarily who's running for school board, and uh, and and this should you know hit home that we you know that these, these elections are so critical to our well being and the well being of our children and and if you think about it uh local elections especially school board elections county councils have have been because the turnout is not very high low hanging fruit for a lot of uh, leftists, and then they just use the school board seat to as a stepping stone to you know seek higher office and and we just need to wake up, look at the bottom of the ballot <laughs> uh, even before necessarily looking at the top of the ballot so uh, this this is also another uh, positive to come out of this is a, a greater awareness of uh, the local level and and local elections and how critical they are to the health of our communities and the health of our children.
0: Yeah, I know we've been making an argument here uh, that uh, in in most cases that it's way more important to you in your daily life because that's when our government is functioning the way it's supposed to, that's who you're going to have the most contact with. That's who's going to affect your daily life the most. So those should be the ones you're paying the most attention to, not the least. So that's absolutely a great point, Stella. Uh, you've already been generous with your time, but I don't want to let you go just yet without talking a little more in depth about the book. Uh, the Weaponization of Loneliness, uh, obviously uh, a great focus Definitely need to find out exactly what was the uh, turning point that made you decide you needed to write this book?
2: Oh, thank you for that question, Tim. Well, you know, I was looking at all the crazy agendas around us, and I've been following this transgender thing for a long time, fifteen years even, uh, and I was I wrote about it at least a dozen years ago, and it was it's been on my radar. A lot longer than it's been on a lot of others, but I, I could see what was going to happen, and you know that it was going to get into the military and the churches and all this other stuff, and, and that's just one uh, crazy agenda. But you know everything else with the environmental stuff that you know they want to now they want to get rid of gas stoves and you know so on and so forth. I was looking at all these different agendas, and you know the debt, and you know how how can all of these crazy things be happening at once? I mean, it's like trying to play a -a whack-a-mole to keep up with, with all of them. There's so many. And I was looking for a common thread that tied them all together, kind of a common denominator. What allowed all of these crazy agendas to get so much oxygen that they became like policies And my conclusion after having, you know, studied propaganda for a long time and totalitarian systems was that self-censorship, well, censorship in general, but self-censorship in particular, when we are so fearful of being isolated and lonely that we will shut up about what we believe, uh, that is really key to understanding how so many of these bad agendas came to see the light of day. If you had millions of people talking openly, as I said before, uh, you know, openly about what they believed and different ideas, it wouldn't have gotten, I don't believe it would have gotten to this point. And as you mentioned before, the Founding Fathers, they really understood the critical importance of not, you know, freedom of religion, freedom of belief, but then Freedom of speech to express what you believe, which comes second in that First Amendment, which has, you know, the five freedoms in there, uh, you know, of, um, of religion, speech, the press, which just means your freedom to record what you believe, uh, you know, association and, you know, petitioning grievances, all of those are critical to a free and healthy civil society, and you have to use your freedom of speech or you're going to lose it. and uh, so and 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 it just undergirds all of our freedoms. so um that that's really why I wrote the book was to help us become more aware of the dynamics that cause us to self-censor uh, that, that because that's what gives tyranny. Uh, it's oxygen, and help us become more aware and then, in the end, I talk about you know the kinds of counter strategies we can try to build once we become aware of how these dynamics work on us and within us
0: yeah uh, all of the uh the best writers they don't just point out the problems they do offer some solutions, and that's part of what I appreciate here too Stella uh, and you know, just like with any other. Uh, emotional tick that we may have, anything else that may be subconsciously holding us back. Uh, being aware, recognizing it ourselves is the first step towards getting past it. And uh, that's exactly what's being addressed here. And given your background and the time you spent in these fields, seems like you are uniquely qualified to help us with that. So Thank you so much for your efforts. I greatly appreciate you being with us tonight as well. Uh, And I certainly hope we get a chance to talk again sometime soon because I've really enjoyed our time together. Before I let you know, though, Stella, please let everybody know where they can find your work, share any websites that you would like to. And as long as you're inviting people to follow you on any social media platforms, feel free to share that as well.
2: Oh, thank you so much, Tim, and I really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, well, my book, The Weaponization of Loneliness, can be found wherever online books are found. You'd have to go online either to Amazon or Barnes & Noble or Goodreads or, you know, wherever books are sold online. And uh, you can follow my work um I had, uh, you know, the Federalist. I have an author page there, thefederalist.com dot com slash author slash Stella Morbido one word. And please, if you can, give me a follow on Twitter. That would be nice. Uh, my Twitter handle is Stella underscore Morbido. And uh, you know, I have a blog. Uh, it's you know, I'm trying to make it more active. It's StellaMorbido dot net. Uh, so I just appreciate your support, Tim. I appreciate this conversation; it was wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on your show.
0: Uh, the pleasure is mine. I assure you, I—it's I, not often I get to speak with folks that are bringing that level of passion and energy to the conversation, and not a, a, even a hint of reservation. You're—you're uh, you're definitely. Uh, in the fight to try and make sure that people understand what the fight actually is and uh that's the best thing we can do one of the biggest issues conservatives have had in this country for a long time has been messaging we we get into these defensive postures instead of just standing up for what we believe and saying what we think and that's exactly what you're bringing to the table so thank you so much for all the great work you're doing and uh Keep it up and I hope like I said That we get together again real soon God bless you God bless
2: you too Tim Thank you
0: Thank you Ladies and gentlemen that is of course Stella Marbito And uh, I will have links in the show description For the podcast uh, version later uh, That will take you to Some of her work Including her uh, uh, Her blog that she says She's trying to bring to a level Of more activeness uh, We'll get those in there And, uh, you know, I I really do – I always enjoy talking to somebody that's bringing a high level of energy, and you could just – you could feel the passion coming there, and uh, it's just not something you get everywhere. Now, uh, we've still got a few minutes before we'll slide into our break, so before we do that, I'd also like to take a moment or two to remind you that uh, if you would like to come join the Tap into the Truth locals community – I'd really love to have you. Come on over, hang out. I share a lot of social media posts. In fact, I share a a lot of news articles and stuff there that I do not share at the other social media things that we're active on. And as soon as we build up a sizable enough community, I'll start doing more uh, specific interactions over there. I'm not doing a whole lot of that right now because there's just not very many people over there at the moment. So uh, come on, guys. Come on over. Locals.com. Look for the Tap into the Truth community. Or you can look on some of these other social media sites where you can find me. I do occasionally share the link. Uh, It's periodically. Uh, Also, as a little bit of housekeeping, uh, we're about to bring on uh, a couple of new sponsors. So uh, we'll be uh, doing some ad work uh, here for these new folks. And one of them is going to be kind of fun that – We'll be kind of competitors for some folks that we've had a, an affiliate relationship with, uh, but uh you know affiliate relationship compared to actual sponsorship eh, uh, you know who's going to win that one every time, uh, but still good products I'm not just taking money to take money. But I need the money, guys, so don't be mad at me. <laughs> if, if you want me to get to the point where sponsorships don't matter, then I do accept uh, contributions in PayPal until they kick me off. So you're welcome to do that, too. <laughs> anyway, uh, glad to have you here. And uh, as always, PayPal kick me off. Yeah. See, and, and Doug is just the crazy Cajun. I don't know why they would kick him off. He's a man behind the scenes, but lefties running it over there. That's part of why we need a parallel economy. They they don't like it, and I think we'll just have to keep fighting the good fight. And, yeah, and eventually we'll just send money directly to one another. <laughs> just mail it to me. I do accept cash. Just don't let the post office know what it is. <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, don't go anywhere. We will be back in just a few brief moments with yet another guest. Stay with us. My
3: name's
0: Joe Biden. My name's Joe Biden. My name's Joe Biden. I'm Joe Biden's husband. Thank you. Thank you, George.
1: Will
3: you ever run for political office again? No lying dog-faced pony sword. Who, 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 who takes what when? You
4: cannot go to a 7-Eleven or a Dunkin' Donuts unless you have a slight Indian accent. My name's Joe Biden. I'm Joe Biden's husband.
1: I want to be clear. I'm not going nuts. I'm not sure it was a medical school read I spoke a I keep forgetting I'm president.
3: The Founding Fathers left us with a government of, by, and for the people. But as of now, that is no longer the case. Hello, I'm Ron Edwards on today's page from the Edwards Notebook. The Constitution plainly lays out the duties and responsibilities of government. To sum things up, the government is not supposed to be a hindrance to law-abiding sovereign citizens. The government is supposed to protect we the people from harm, not be a source of harm. Unfortunately, the United States is suffering from the results of numerous bad decisions and actions. Among the most egregious was the cold and calculated leftist-inspired effort to gradually wean the United States away from the very principles and providential guidance that contributed mightily to the United States becoming the most highly blessed envy of the world. Even government school educators, refusing to indoctrinate U.S.-born students are now educating foreign students who were brought into our republic illegally via permission from the current Washington, D.C. regime. The founders warned that for the United States to remain a free nation, the people must be of high moral character. We have major decisions to make. I'm Ron Edwards. Check out RonEdwards.com.
4: So, Boone's Bourbon is a high proof, cash strength bourbon at 117 proof. We are 75 corn, 21 rye, 4 barley, and at our price point, we're beating the competition at $40 in the retail stores. Boone's Bourbon is a family owned business out of Charleston, South Carolina with my father, Mick Boone. Cheers, and we hope to see you soon.
3: constitutional grounds the coffee you want in your cup
0: you're listening to tap into the truth
2: this is Amy this is as
4: me too Sharing the night.
0: All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so very much for staying with us through that very brief break. We, of course, are back, and I am joined now... By Rob Monts. This man is the co-founder and CEO of Good Kid Productions. His online documentaries have attracted millions of views. In fact, you have probably seen some of his work and maybe not realize it, or maybe you do. It's all good stuff. He's gotten coverage from the New York Times, from the Washington Post, from USA Today, and of course, uh, the Megyn Kelly Show. He graduated from Brown University back in 2005 with a degree in philosophy and as he puts it precisely zero marketable skills. <laughs> I think that might be a little bit of a a little bit of an exaggeration because he seems to be doing quite well not just with the documentary side but with the messaging too. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show. Uh Rob Monts uh, Rob, first of all, thank you so much for joining us this evening. I appreciate your time, and how are you doing today?
4: Uh, mate, you had to include that last bit. I mean, really, we got to rub it in. we got to rub <laughs> it in how useless I was at twenty two I mean okay, okay, yeah, uh, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me.
0: All right, yeah. When I saw that in the bio, I did have to include it because there's not too many people willing to admit. Hey, I went to Ivy Yo, man, League I School. I was a philosophy
4: and- major. I was a philosophy major. Uh, I had a, a a pretty soft childhood. I'm I'm ready and willing to admit that I was completely useless to a prospective employer. That was my life at 22.
0: Well, you know, the other side of that though is it's led you to a point where as the CEO of Good Kid Productions, you're basically uh, running your own show. So that's that's not a bad place to be in America.
4: Yeah, we're trying. We're trying. We're trying. Yeah.
0: All right, I got to tell you uh, I saw the uh the new documentary, The uh, Broken Boys of Kenosha. Uh a g- just phenomenal work, by the way. Uh, It's a small, compact package. It's less than 30 minutes, so even the short attention span that most of us have to fight if we're in media, uh, it should not wane in this. It's compelling stuff. But when somebody talks about Kenosha, they probably think you're going to be focusing on a hyper-political message. But the truth of this message is that you're focusing on a much deeper issue. And I think you do just a phenomenal job with actually laying out the case because every player, every name that – has managed to become a name that's remembered, that was a focal point of the seven lies, as you call them, from the story. Mm -hmm. They all suffered from one basic, fundamental, foundational uh, issue from their past, and I'll let you discuss that.
4: Right. Well, I mean, and people might vaguely remember the name Kenosha. It has this rare distinction that in the summer of 2020 – this kind of, you know, small, perfectly pleasant bedroom community in uh, in Wisconsin birthed two mega viral news incidences, right? And again, the way that our, our modern media metabolizes viral news stories is you kind of, you, you, you take the viral news story, you squeeze it for all the viewership and attention and partisan pleasure you can, and then you move on. So it's very rare for anybody to go back to the site to ground zero of mega viral news incidences and do the basic work of checking the narrative that was spun about the viral news story and the actual on-the-ground reality. So in the summer of 2020, just a couple weeks after George Floyd, a black man by the name of Jacob Blake is shot by a white police officer in Kenosha and like multi-billion dollar establishment corporate media operations, immediately kick into gear and attempt to convince the American people this is George Floyd 2.0, right? This is the next iteration of institutional racism in America. That in turn prompts somewhere between five to 6,000 outside agitators slash violent rioters to descend on Kenosha, And they spend multiple nights incinerating (laughs) uh, private businesses, many of them owned by black people, by the way. Mm -hmm. And then on the third night of riots, Kyle Rittenhouse comes down to Kenosha, picks up an AR-15 in a medic bag on his way to Kenosha in order to protect some private property because Kenosha had been left essentially unguarded by state authorities. So this documentary Dives into both of those viral news incidences and shows that kind of the, the, this 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 hunger, this thirst, this ambition to shove both the Jacob Blake and the Kyle Rittenhouse story into these neat, prepackaged partisan narratives meant that people missed the underlying trauma that connects Rittenhouse, Jacob Blake, and actually two other. Main central characters of the drama of Kenosha, so that's that's what the doc is about. And again, people are intrigued. This is all hosted on our YouTube site for Good Kid Productions. It's available and free for people to check out on Good Kid Productions on YouTube, or just go to goodkidproductions.com dot com to take a look.
0: Yeah, yeah, and again, I, I can't compliment you enough in how you delve into this because yeah, it's so easy. To just fall into these narratives. And that's why, what makes uh, documentary filmmakers like yourself so important, especially in this modern age. But, you know, it's one thing to just do the research, get into it. And you had some great interviews on there, by the way, too. Uh, of course, I, yeah. I know you already know this, but if you're anything like me, you never get tired of hearing a compliment, uh, so uh, <laughs> and, and you're certainly deserving of it in this. I mean,
4: keep it coming. I haven't said to stop. I haven't said to stop. <laughs> oh, uh, it's just you know,
0: the fact that you did delve into that next layer level, What what really was at heart here? you know you start off by dispelling the seven media lies and, and you go into very good detail and and you get to that but then it's all like but hey by the way guys that's not really the story here there is a much bigger issue that's facing uh, the country as a whole and it's affecting people whether they're black or white or if they happen to be pink with green polka dots It's an aspect that comes down to our society is missing a very important factor. Uh, We've got a lot of young men growing up without fathers in their homes, and it's leading to a lot of societal uh, discourse.
4: Exactly. So the first half of the documentary is grounded primarily in an interview we do with Bill Barr, the former attorney general under Trump. And that is carefully dissecting this fictional narrative that was erected around the shooting of Jacob Blake and as you as you hinted we kind of identify the seven sacred tenets of Jacob Blake's martyrdom these seven sacred facts of his shooting that we were fed by essentially every major media organization in the country and mm-hmm. we very carefully dissect and show how every single one of them is a lie is false right but kind of once you burn that away what's the deeper story that got missed And, yeah, I mean, one out of every three boys in this country is raised without a dad, right, which is the highest rate in the world. This is tied with the U.K. So America right now is engaged in a mass sociological experiment of what does it mean when one out of every three of your sons doesn't have a father during his core formative years? And we're going to figure out real shortly if 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 there's a price to be paid for that. I think we actually already are paying the price, right? And at, in the doc, we talk about Rittenhouse and Jacob Blake, and then two other main characters. I don't want to give away the whole story. Oh. And it's not a coincidence that all four of them were raised without a dad, right? And uh, you know, I just uh, I think it's it's a it's a story that doesn't fit neat partisan packaging. But it turns out to be one of the core challenges of America in 2023, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Uh, the other thing that I'm so amazed with is actually just the pacing here. Ordinarily to try and really reveal as much as you did in this, I, I could easily see this running an hour and a half, two hours, and then still maybe not do as good of a job as you did here with this So. <laughs> uh the work on this everybody that was involved with this project y'all just did a fantastic job and again i i just I can't recommend it enough I'm definitely going to have links in the show description once the show goes to podcasts later I want everybody to go see it because i we, we're we trying to leave enough stuff out of it so that you can still feel compelled. There's more stuff that we're not staying here directly. But even if I was to, to sit here and ruin the whole thing, to try to do spoilers, it would still be worth it for you to go and see this the way it is. It is absolutely phenomenal. Rob, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, before I let you go... Please let everybody know, once again, where they can find your work. Share the websites. And if you're inviting people to follow you anywhere on social media, feel free to share your handles. And if there's any last thoughts you want to share before you go, uh, go ahead and throw those in at the end.
4: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, just at at Rob Monts. You can find me at Twitter. And then, again, people can watch the documentary at Good Kid Productions. So GoodKidProductions.com, Good Kid Productions on YouTube. And we've all, basically the main thesis of the company is trying to bring Netflix quality production, but investigating stories that that a Hollywood or establishment media operations are totally allergic to, right? So if that intrigues you, that idea of being able to operate at the highest possible level of craftsmanship for documentaries, but kind of attacking certain progressive pieties that tend to saturate the the, the bulk of the institutions that make documentaries then uh then you should check us out thank you so much for having me
0: all right again thank you for joining and uh hopefully we'll get a chance to get back together again sometime and and further the conversation because i really really uh just feels like there's so much more to talk about but we want everybody to go see the documentaries first Uh, thank you so much godspeed to you and uh continue the good work sir thank you all right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Rob amont and and I'm not kidding about this either. This less than thirty minutes, and he breaks down these two very uh, two very distinct portions of the story. A lot of which we, of course, discussed, and we uh, we talked about at the time it was ongoing here. The uh, yeah, the whole kit and caboodle, both with. Uh, The gentleman who was at his baby mama's house, they they weren't together anymore, and was there because there was a birthday to one of his children. But by the time the cops showed up, he was trying to steal this woman's car, which had two of her children in this car, and he was angry. He had accused her of... uh, Of sleeping with somebody else in the neighborhood, and he was just making a scene. And yeah, it was so unreal that they were able to uh, to pretend like somehow there was uh, nothing going on, no reason for the cops to even have been involved. It's like, seriously, what are you talking about? Oh, it was excessive force. Uh, It should never have been permitted. Guys, what are we talking about? Are we seeing the same thing? And at the end of all this, we fast forward after Joe Biden, of course, goes and talks to the parents and talks to the, the guy in the hospital and, how courageous he is and all this other stuff that, of course, you expect from the leftist side of the uh, political spectrum where these folks clearly want to do nothing more than to put us in those little boxes we were talking about before with Stella. And this whole thing evolved into riots and then enter Kyle House. And what's amazing here is – this documentary, they dig into so much information that just was never made public. Our our saint of the story grew up without a dad. Kyle Rittenhouse, his actual biological father, was out of the picture. And two of the people Kyle ended up shooting had issues. But it's still astounding to see how some of these people who were not there for the kids did show up to try and cash in on it. It's like I said, you just, if you haven't seen it already, the broken boys of Kenosha, you really, really do need to check it out. Like I said, it's not very long. It is a great, great documentary. And, You know, given the fact that I do this as frequently as I do, I end up watching a lot of documentaries. Not all of them are worthy of any particular praise. This one really is. No doubt about it. All right, before I go into this very last segment for the evening, excuse me, I will clear my throat here. Uh, I want to remind everyone that the uh, podcasts are available pretty much wherever you find podcasts. But if you happen to be somewhere like Stitcher where they still actually get a direct link from both Spreaker and from uh, BTR, I would really, really like for you to use the one from Stitcher. And that's the one that will have my picture on it uh, (laughs) as opposed to the one that just has... The extreme close-up of a portion of the American flag because <laughs> that's the one that's monetized. Guys, I'm like the rest of you. The Biden economy sucks. We need as much money as we can get. Okay. I You know, I can't let a broadcast go by when there's an opportunity to discuss Alexandria, Acasio, Cortez and not do it. And so, here, in the waning moments of the broadcast, I've got to talk about Alexandria Acasio Cortez, and for you guys over at the University of West Virginia that are still playing that game uh, it's Friday night it's okay to get ahead the start. Here we are. It would appear, ladies and gentlemen, in case you didn't realize it that everybody's favorite democratic representative from the state of New York is at the top of a short list for a key spot on the powerful House Oversight Committee. Now, if you'll recall, lots and lots and yet lots of people have been talking from the very beginning that since the arrival of AOC into the world of the body politic, that some people had designs of her becoming their next big presidential push. Obviously, she wasn't quite old enough previously for the constitutional requirements to hold the office. But if she was to decide to run this time, and we do know that there are a lot of Democrats looking for somebody other than Joe Biden to root for, uh, she would be old enough by the time she would be sworn into office to constitutionally hold it. Given what we have gotten from AOC to this point, her time in the House of Representatives, it seems unlikely that she has earned a spot on the House Oversight Committee um, by any sense of the word actually earned. She's been part of the squad, so she's been very vocal against Nancy Pelosi and leadership all together, because, you know, they're just not progressive enough. Can't believe they feel particularly confident that she would make a a good little soldier, but she is really good at keeping the folks active over at the Instagram account, right? Is is that all it takes now? So many followers on Insta uh, to become a member of the House Oversight Committee? If that's it, uh, I just need to know, uh, because I could become a member of the House Oversight Committee. Just saying. I I suppose I technically would need to get elected to the House first, but that's just a minor oversight. Anyway, according to the Politico, the leftist firebrand that is AOC, uh, she's been in conversations. Her name has been lifted up by a lot of folks – that are in a position to help decide who does and doesn't get on these committees. There's a lot of conversations about picking her as a vice-ranking member of the House Oversight Committee. But, you know, there's some uh, information saying that, uh, guys, don't get too excited yet. Nothing's been finalized. We don't know for sure. Something tells me before the end of next week, we will know. But uh, if she were to be chosen for that number two position, that would mean that Ocasio-Cortez would become the lieutenant to ranking member uh, Jamie Raskin, and that she would be playing a, a leading role in setting the course for Democrats to counter the GOP plans to investigate various aspects of the Joseph Robinette Biden Jr. administration. You know, barely there, Beijing Biden, that guy. D- Daddy of Hunter. Husband of Jill. Now, because Raskins is currently undergoing cancer treatment, his deputy actually could take on more responsibility, including setting in for the ranking member for hearings during his absence. However, a Democratic aide insisted to the Politico that any member can set in for the ranking member. It doesn't have to be her. But if you're the vice chair, why would you not be? Quoting here, Ratkins talking about AOC, Raskins, I mean. Apologies. I have the greatest admiration for her skill. And I'm sure we're going to be able to deploy her to maximum effect on the committee. Along with all these other amazing new members. Okay. What skill do you think he's talking about exactly? uh, Going on social media and being in awe and fear? In seeing a garbage disposal for the first time, Uh, pretending to be handcuffed and arrested at an event where she was supposed to be protesting, you know she's being walked out of harm's way because she's in the middle of the road and she puts her hands behind her back for the photo app. So that you think she's being arrested, because you know what progressive Democratic politicians these days don't have the Uh, police have arrested me for standing up for my beliefs kind of street cred. Spoiler alert, AOC still does not. She was trying to get there, but not. Can you believe, actually, that AOC is technically in her third term? Just her third term, where she has literally accomplished nothing from a legislative point of view. This is a huge position for somebody who hasn't. Still trying to scratch my head here and and get to a place where any of this makes sense for anything other than the fact that the Democrats, as a party on the national level, know that they need to deepen their bench. They've got to pad the resume for some of these people, and AOC is one of the few folks that resonates with the Democratic voter and is still left enough that even the globalists are like, well, yeah that bartender i mean representative is going to be able to to help guide america towards globalization socialism but she's so funny when she tries to explain anything it's impossible to take her seriously. So she can actually use the word, yes, I'm a socialist. And you can't help but uh, kind of giggle along with her as she's laughing at it. <laughs> I'm a socialist, but I'm a democratic socialist. <laughs> Please. Please, Alexandria. Please. The Justice Democrats is an organization it's dangerous to begin with. Putting her on this committee, I don't know that any good can come of it. But, again, I just – I still remember a time when you used to had have to have accomplish something to move into leadership, and this is a step towards leadership in the party. Make no mistake. Go ahead. Write it down. Mark it on the, uh, the timeline here of the show um, so that we can go back and review it. I will stand by this. This is about – Padding her resume so she can run for president because she certainly could win before Kamala Harris could. All right, we're going to have to leave things there. Go out, enjoy the rest of your Friday night, enjoy the rest of your weekend, and remember, don't take my word for it. Definitely don't take their word for it. Be prepared to put in some effort, and most importantly, use your brain. If you really want to tap into the truth. Uh, Thank you, Doug, for everything you've done. Thanks to tonight's guest. Thank you, dear listeners, for being here. And I'm out.
4: using both